This is Radio Free Bay Ridge. Hi, everybody. Welcome to Radio Free Bay Ridge. Today, we're here with Kayla and Mary, and we're talking about the recent city council debates in District 43. Um, Would you ladies like to introduce yourselves? This is Mary. I'm an organizer with the South Brooklyn Progressive Resistance, and I uh, helped organize the Arab American Association debate. And my name is Kayla Santosuoso. I was the campaign manager for the Caldarelia team campaign here in Bay Ridge and was also the former deputy director of the Arab American Association. Thanks, Thanks for, for coming, coming, Kayla. Yeah, my pleasure. Where else would I be on a Friday night? <laughs> I don't know. Um, so, so where should yeah, we start? Can I, can I just, can I just start off right with a rant? Go with it. <laughs> like, I just want to make clear before we dive into either debate that there's no such thing as a winner of the debate, right? Because there's just like this common practice of yeah. someone like tweeting out or sending out an email and being like, this candidate won. And it's like, cool. The other two candidates are also sending out those emails. Yeah. There is no win. Like, it's not like there's like a ref. It's not high school debate club. The debate. Like, right. <laughs> it's like lifting up the the fist of the champion on the corner of the stage, right? Like no winners. No clear winner. I mean, you know, people that perform better for who you are and what you care about and what are the issues that you care about the most. But like, you know, nobody nobody gets to do the victory lap. <laughs> nice. Maybe they should. Maybe they should. <laughs> Have a little race around at the very right, end there. Yeah. I mean, Bob Capano's into sports. Like, why not? Uh, the sport of shooting himself in his own foot. Um, so, yeah. So there was the Zavarian debate. And then we just had the Arab American Association of New York debate. Um, and I think we saw kind of different sides of some of the candidates. Um, some some of them were amazingly consistent. Um, others, not so much. Yeah, I thought, you know, so the the landscape of the first debate, John Quaglione and Bob Capano sort of like vying for who is going to be the bigger Trump supporter. Mm, mm-hmm. And then Justin having a clear window to just sort of be like, oh, well, I am the reasonable person <laughs> among this trio, right? And then the interesting thing was that with the AAANY debate, with the associations debate, I thought that it would be strategic for John to sort of go toe-to-toe with Justin right. and to be able to say, like, May, you know, I'm a Republican, but, you know, here are all the things that I've done for the Arab community. Here are all the ways that I've assisted immigrant communities in my capacity, you know, as a Marty Golden staffer. But that's just not – he didn't do that. Yeah. And it ended up actually, to me, looking kind of like, well, you have two people who are clear and forthcoming about mm-hmm. what they support. Yeah. being Justin and Bob Capano, yeah. and then John Quaglione, who just kind of looked pissed <laughs> the, whole, the whole time to be there and who was just kind of like waffling. Mm. Um, so I think I think in both cases, John really missed an opportunity to really consider himself as Justin Brandon's honest opponent and right. to really take him up toe-to-toe. I didn't feel like he did that well in either, in either way. I think he did like really early on, maybe even in his opening statement, mentioned uh, – he worked on the Unity Task Force with mm-hmm. Senator Golden. Mm-hmm. And he mentioned Khadrelia Team's name for that, too. <laughs> it was interesting to watch because I I wasn't at that debate. I caught up with it later, but I was watching it on Twitter. Mm-hmm. And somebody tweeted out, I can't remember who it was, John Quaglione, first candidate to mention Khadrelia Team. And Which, I was like, let's just be clear, that was a point on the drinking game. <laughs> How did the drinking game go? Did that? Um, I I couldn't drink during it because I was in surgery. But <laughs> during the debate, one of my friends texted me about 
Maybe like uh, two minutes after the opening statements. Well, I'm drunk. <laughs> well, I was going to say, because apparently Marty Golden was in the auditorium, like at the back what? of the auditorium. So that's a glass right there. Wow. Just constant, yeah, constant drinking because yeah. Marty Golden's around, right? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, so that was kind of my read on it was like strategically just strange in both in both ways. And yeah. Well, and there's something about it's fine not to be strategic if you're being your genuine self. But even then, I feel like particularly Quaglion was was kind of waffly. And there were answers that he gave that were different from what he had said at this very um, debate the week before. And the biggest one that comes to mind is when they asked people, you know, would you vote for Trump again? And at the Zavarian debate, he said, well, I voted for Kasich in the primaries, but I would totally, you know, yes, I would vote for Trump again. And I mean, he, you know, not verbatim, but he was very clear about that. Um, and then when it came up at the AAANY debate, he he kind of hedged it a little bit and, you know, said something about um, Trump's, you know, sexual assault of women. I have rethought my vote on Donald Trump at times for certain issues. And as a father of two daughters and of a wife, there's no room for sexual harassment in society. So I want to leave it at that. Okay, so my question was, would you still vote for Donald Trump if he runs for re-election? That was my question, sir. We're not up to the 2020 election. Sexual assault of women, but, you know, he's our president. Yeah. yeah. He didn't really say anything in strong terms in that debate, and that was probably the most troubling to Yeah, me. like if I were a person that had no interaction with him, I would just be confused about who who John is mm. at this point, you know? Like, I like once again, I feel like he had a really clear opportunity. You know what? What strikes me is that in the primary debate, so the first debate at Zavarian, I don't know how many people were at that one, but he came out, his first statement, he came out from behind the table and went to this like lectern, the like podium, and said, the first statement that I want to make is to condemn the rallies that are going on in Charlottesville. This is while the like white supremacists were gathering in Charlottesville, Virginia. And he was like, hate will not be tolerated in our country. You know, white, I don't think he said white supremacy, but he said something along, you know, he very clear and strong terms. Wasn't this like that, yeah. violence on both sides thing? Was this very like hate will not be tolerated. This is not what the United States is for. And I wanted to like, while the AAA and Y debate was going on, I wanted to just freeze frame that and be like, bro, this is what you need to go back to. Like he had the opportunity. Well, yeah. I mean, there's that question about um, discrimination and hate crimes or something. And and he talked about some experiences from Catholicism and, and some of the Catholic churches. And then he said, you know, in the Jew, Jewish synagogues and and wherever you go. And, and it was very much not as strong as that statement, which I had heard about as well. Right. I genuinely think that a lot of the people that went, I mean, you know, I think there were activists that were clearly on the left that went to the AAA and Y debate. But my sense from looking at the audience was that it was actually a fair mix of people who might, who really might not have known enough about the candidates going in and would have been open-minded. Yeah. Um, and so I, I really, I really do think, I mean, I said this, but I, I, th I think it was a missed opportunity for him to just be honest about the fact that like discrimination and racism will not be tolerated in the community and like close it up and, and be done for the day. But he, but. I don't know why yeah. he got so stymied. Yeah. Well, and it, it was such a contrast to Bob Capano, who who repeatedly was saying, like, you know, I know you're not going to agree with me on this, but this is how I feel. I, I know that, you know, maybe you don't think you can trust me, but I've been saying the same thing since day one. It's like, and, and I mean, we disagree with Bob on pretty much 100% of everything, right. but at least we know that, like, he's he's there on that issue. He's not some kind of quantum candidate who it just depends 
what angle you're observing him from, what it, what's going on. Right. And strategically, like if I were, if God forbid, I were Bob Capano's <laughs> campaign manager, I would be like, you're probably not going to get any votes from this audience. Yeah. So since you know that there's going to be a live stream, mm-hmm. and since you know that this will reach the people that are your supporters yeah. and are more likely to be your supporters, stand your ground and say your positions, even in the opposition, mm-hmm. you know, in, in face of the opposition that's going to disagree with you on things. Yeah. That was the right thing to do. I was I was struck by how diplomatic and innocuous sounding he made like broken windows and surveillance sound. Mm-hmm. It sounds so reasonable. He's like, we don't want crime in our neighborhood, do we? Oh, well, and there was yeah. that that part where he said um, somebody was talking about surveillance of the Arab American community. And he said something about, well, if there were crimes going on in the Italian community, or the Irish community, I would be supportive of surveillance of them, too. And it was like, dude, really? What? <laughs> yeah, but no mention of... Any of the attacks that are happening in America that are perpetrated by white men, yeah. you know, yeah. no mention of the Las Vegas shooting mm-hmm. right? or any of the other like shooting, stabbings and just uh, hate crimes that have happened in America in the, la- in the same time period. Also, how many times in this neighborhood has there been a person from the Arab and Muslim community that has like directly attacked anybody outside yeah. of that community in Bay Ridge? And then how many people from the Arab and Muslim community had been attacked yeah. by primarily white folks? Like you could talk about international policies. You can talk about national surveillance as much as you want. But if you're the councilman, you're doing primarily local work. And so you want to talk about surveillance. You want to talk about criminalization. Like you have to also talk about protecting people who are vulnerable at this time. Um, the, the remind, talking about the work of the city council reminds me of the question about BDS. Yeah. Yeah. That was, that was an interesting. They both hedged as like, you know, it's not the city council's, uh, jurisdiction, but didn't the city council like make a statement on BDS last year? Well, and, and the fact that it was, I think his response was, oh, it's foreign policy. It's like, no, that's not foreign policy. That's fiscal policy. And that is something that cities you know, do. And however you feel about the actual issue, saying, oh, that's not something that I would ever have to look at as an elected is just disingenuous. Yeah. So a little bit of insider information. Um, so this like, you know, this BDS stuff that that came up during the course of the primary, obviously... I mean, for the listeners that aren't aware, I ran, I was the campaign manager for the Khadrilia team campaign, uh, the Democratic candidate for city council. Um, and, you know, like, of course, because he's Palestinian, we were like, yeah, you know, well, we're going to have to deal with this BDS question. Mm-hmm. And the first time that it came up was in the, um, the, I think it was South Brooklyn Progressive Resistance did uh, like the series of candidate forums. Mm-hmm. And then somebody in the audience was like, hey, do you support BDS? And that person mm-hmm. who asked was actually a, a BDS supporter. Right. And so, you know, Father K was like, yeah, you know, the, the, I do support it because it's a nonviolent you, you know, way to fight for the end of occupation. I think it was a night, the night after, or within an immediate couple of days of that event, the, it was the Fight Back Bay Ridge Town Hall. The, like, Town Hall sends Marty, uh, Dan Donovan. Do you remember that? Yeah. Okay. So the reporter that, that wrote about the BDS story was at that town hall. And so Father K goes up to him and, and is like, hey, um, you know, just wanted to introduce myself. This is before he writes it. So he, right. he doesn't know that this is about to get written. He goes up to the reporter and is like, just want to introduce myself. I'm running for city council. I'm a Democratic candidate. I know you live in the neighborhood. Like, would love to talk to you. And the guy was like, oh, yeah, sure. Yeah, good to see you. Great. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And then the following morning publishes the BDS story. 
So there was a clear, like, people were calculating that BDS was going to become an issue because it was right. going to be divisive for some people around our candidate. And, the, like, the fact when I when and it didn't matter because the resolution against BDS in city council has already been passed. It, like, and, it, and one Palestinian city council member yeah. was not going to be able to turn that around. So it's silly that that even came up. And when I heard that that got asked at the AAA-NY debate, I was just sitting there slapping my forehead because I'm like, come on, your shtick is over in some ways. Well, but it, it was interesting because I thought the person who, you know, answered that question, you know, I mean, Bob obviously was like, net. Um, Justin's answer was like, I support a two-state solution, but I'm not a supporter of BDS. And and he got a lot of pushback on that from the audience. So it was it was definitely an interesting thing to see him kind of negotiating, given that so many of the people on the Democratic side, you know, were supporting Father Eliotim. And For sure. And I think Justin, to his credit, is very well aware of the fact that if he wins, he is going to represent the largest Palestinian community on the eastern seaboard. And so he is going to have to um, be – he's going to have to recognize how how serious of an issue that is and how much people care about it. And yeah, to some extent, it is foreign policy in that it involves international politics, but it's the home country Mm -hmm. of so many people who live in the neighborhood, and it does have an effect on how people operate in the city and where they spend their money and what they do. So I I think that's very smart of him. And, you know, if if he can't – if his personal values aren't behind – BDS, you know, we disagree, but it was a good, it was a good line to take Mm -hmm. that he took at that debate. Yeah. I mean, the, the other thing is, and Justin's brought this up a couple of times that in the age of Trump, a city council person isn't just a city council person. They've also, they do have to have opinions on these things. So to have him willing to, like you say, like maybe he doesn't agree with everybody, but he goes out there. Yeah. And I've been pleased, I've been pleased about how he has come around on some of that. I mean, I think, well, you know, he's, he came from, Councilman Gentili's office. Mm-hmm. And then largely, I think, during his primary campaign, still really really campaigned under the auspices of, of Councilman mm-hmm. Gentili as well. Put his face on a lot of his literature, regularly said, you know, I'm endorsed by the current councilman. Um, but it's kind of tough, right? Because you can't do that and then also express a lot of your disagreement with you know, Councilman Gentili in the way that he operated. So I think it's good. I mean, this is the right opportunity for Justin to be saying, because, you know, Councilman Gentili didn't take a lot of these positions, wasn't particularly bold and outspoken around these issues of racism and discrimination. I was actually once in a room where he, when he said that he didn't think that there were problems in the neighborhood around racism. Um, And so for Justin, I think it's important to not, you know, you can put up a lot of the like Bay Ridge loves all signs and say, you know, we don't stand for that here. But I think it's better to say, we need to work within our own neighborhood, we still have work to do. And I think he's been good about doing that. One of the things that came up in both debates that I found really kind of disturbing, and this is partly because we've just finished the Fight Back Bay Ridge book club, just finished reading on tyranny, um, is this idea of anticipatory obedience, where in a, in a, and I'm going to go kind of off for a second here, but in a fascistic society or totalitarian society, part of what the government depends on is you obeying what you think they want from you, not just what they've asked of you. And something that um, Quaglione certainly did it, and I think Capano did it a little at the first debate, was this idea that like, if we want federal, oh, it was the, the seawall thing. When it comes down to money to shore up the, side, the shoreline <coughs> and to protect us from future storms, the federal government pays for that. The federal government pays for that. So Andrew Cuomo can go out and yell and scream and kick Trump in his rear end every day, and Bill de Blasio can do even worse. 
But New York City is going to be the one that suffers when we don't get the federal money to shore up our shoreline. Wait a second, you want us to give in to blackmail before we're actually blackmailed? <laughs> right. Also, that's not a traditionally, like, Republican <laughs> thought, right? Like, if you're Republican, you believe in small government. You yeah. believe that the states should have as many rights as they want. And you believe that people should have the right to govern themselves without interference of a larger governance body. So, like, why would you operate under right. the assumption that, oh, if we do wrong, we're going to get federal funding taken away from No, just don't let them take federal funding yeah. away from you. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know. Mary, you're being very quiet. Like, what, were, what, were you <laughs> um, what was your favorite moment of the debate? <laughs> Either debate. <laughs> all the dodges, all the... All the answering questions that weren't the questions that were asked, or uh, I think maybe my favorite was when uh, they asked, "Do you support the was it the Muslim ban? And mm -hmm. if if not, what will you do to oppose it?" And Justin Brandon went first and answered both parts of the question because he said, "No, I don't support it." And then he followed up, mm -hmm. and uh, I think Capano kind of basically said supports it or, or says he doesn't support it, but he supports extreme was, vetting, yeah, yeah, supports, which is kind of the cornerstone of the Muslim ban. Right. So, uh, but then Quagleon got it and just said, I don't support the the Muslim ban. No explanation. And so I it's mean, like, that's good. How, how seriously can you take somebody's position when they're, they're doing, they're putting literally zero effort into explaining it? Well, it was, it was funny because after the Zavarian debate was when we wrote the drinking game and one of the points on it was Justin answers a question in less than five seconds. So I was like asking everybody like, is he, is he taking more than five seconds? Is he taking more than five seconds? And, and everybody was like, actually, Quagleon's being really terse. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And again, lost opportunity. Mm -hmm. I, I wonder though, I wonder if what Quaglione and his team is struggling with is like, if he sounds too nice to the Arab and Muslim community, then he is going to lose yeah. votes to Capano, who is who doesn't, yeah. you know, who who doesn't mince his words on these on these issues. I just think that's a bad strategically. I think that's a bad yeah. move. My favorite moment of the debate actually didn't come from the candidates. It was when Rabia stood up and gave them hell. Whether we're talking about immigration, whether we're talking about sanctuary cities. Uh, police, and I have four cousins that are NYPD cops, three were ex-Marines, okay? It always goes back to security, national security, and crime. And I, the gentleman up there, yes, statistics, okay? Let's just stop it, okay? And think about, you know, the right to protect us, and what, to know us, that, that, that Justin supporting both of you, well, I don't know, I didn't hear your, your answer. I'm just saying that every time we talk about immigrants and people of color, it always has to do with national security or community security or issues about crime. Crime always comes up. Let's just stop it. We are hardworking immigrants, and you need to acknowledge that. Okay? You need to know that. And you need to know that. As a general rule, like, just don't mess with Rabia. Just, like, <laughs> don't, just don't, you know, just don't. Like, in a, in a battle yeah, with federal government, yes, yeah. but Rabia, obey in advance. <laughs> yeah. No, even then, like, like, Trump v. Rabia, like, she wins. You know, like, in some way, in the end, she wins because she's just a force.
I was sitting next to her in the audience and she was just like biting her tongue and sitting on her hands throughout the whole thing because there was so much talk of crime. Well, and part of that as well is like if you're constantly talking about surveillance and crime, like you said, like if you're not a sanctuary city, people don't report things. I mean, and that's not even just the case with undocumented people in a non-sanctuary city. Yeah, I mean, yeah. the the community has had such a tenuous relationship with policing mm-hmm. for decades and the fact that you know there would be candidates who would want to in, you know sort of tense up that relationship even further mm-hmm. says to me like you just fundamentally don't understand the way that yeah. different communities work and with that i will talk about another just like absolute misstep <laughs> i'm going to lose so many friends because of this. um if you don't so, lose friends you're not doing it right yeah right <laughs> yeah if you don't have haters you're not doing it right um and so the 86th Street comment. Can we talk about mm, the 86th Street comment? Yes. Because, Please do. Yes. Because while while you're talking about like crimes and policing, the other thing that I think is constantly going on is a demonization of poor people. And I think that is regularly happening in both debates. One primary example that I'm thinking about is this 86th Street comment. Right. The quality of life on 86th Street is deplorable. That's why the Banana Republic factory store, and that's why the Gap outlet has opened there. I don't know if any of you know this, because the demographics of those that shop in this district have declined so much that they believe that this district needs outlet stores. Our 86th Street needs I need a lot outlet of stores. I love outlet yeah. stores. Hey, hey there. Hey, I can't afford a hundred dollar pair of jeans yeah. from regular Banana Republic. Like yeah. I don't know. Like, so my first question was like, who do you think lives in your neighborhood? And that Mm. goes back to it, right? Mm -hmm. Is like, who do you actually think lives here? And who do you think your supporters are? Because my understanding is, my my read so far is that John Quaglion's supporters range from like the people that have the mansions closer to the water and some like straight up working class, particularly blue collar cops and firefighters. Mm. And like, your first year cop makes what $32,000 you think they are buying banana republic you think they are buying like capital g yeah. gap yeah. that's not Good like point. who who do you think your supporters are and why would you use your platform to say something like th- those stores, <laughs> I, I'm so fired up about this because I think it was so coded mm. in the sense that it was like if you ever if you ever didn't think that there were multiple neighborhoods within our neighborhood that was so telling because i would never think of our neighborhood as like wealthy and upper upper class and deserving of the highest quality clothes that just it would be the (laughs) furthest thing from what i would suggest so the fact that he would feel comfortable being like what does it say about the demographics of our neighborhood is like bro this is not well and to be fair that was at this very end debate which which did lean very heavily um conservative shall we say yeah yeah you could kind of tell from the audience that there was more than one community i it was very clear where like quaglione supporters were sitting and where cabano's supporters were sitting and uh when they asked that question there was a like laughter from where the area where i was sitting me (laughs) me and my lefty friends because all of these were like questions that people wrote down on index cards and submitted and then the moderator read them and sometimes inaccurately sometimes inaccurately and there was laughter from people being like, really? Like, you think an, an ice cream truck idling on 86th Street is, like, the biggest issue? Like, that is the thing that you came here at, like, 7 o'clock on a weekday <laughs> to ask your city council candidates. Yeah, also the, the, the halal cart. You have a look at the sidewalk next to the food carts? It's disgusting, okay? 
You stand next to the ice cream truck all day long, the fumes going into the air quality. And so for me, it's like, well, so you you say that you're not going to stand for, you know, intolerance of people, but then you go on and say, oh, but, you know, their, their operation is dirty and they shouldn't be there in the demographics and whatever. Like, bro, that's the same language that leads to people having, like, this hostility towards people within our own neighborhood. Um, so I thought that was awful. And then more of this sort of, like, poor shaming is this constant – homelessness mm. just harping and harping and harping and even like drug use which is primary i mean you know not across the board but is largely happening with folks who aren't wealthy like people need help <laughs> homelessness is someone who just doesn't have a home right now like don't don't be talking about how how it affects you while you're going to buy your trench coat talk about what you're going to do to get somebody a house yeah apparently the worst thing that can happen to quaglione is if he has to like talk to his kids about homelessness and, and, you know, teach them to buy them a sandwich, which is a lovely gesture, but it's just a gesture and it's God not forbid, helping anybody. Yeah, but God forbid he teach, God forbid he teach people how to like go to the halal cart and get halal food. You cannot talk about how the halal cart is hurting the demographics of 86th Street and also harp on that there are small businesses that are closing. Because if you're not going to the halal cart, you're going to Chipotle. And those are two separate, like... The halal card is $6. The Chipotle is $10, right? Mm -hmm. So like you can't hate on people for wanting to get $6 halal food yeah. from the cart. And then – so you're either you're either for working class mom and pop shops mm -hmm. or you're just not and you're happy with the chain stores like taking over and doing their thing. But you can't just sort of like – uh, I'll get rid of the ice cream truck and I'll get rid of the halal cart and I'll keep uh, Century 21, but I'm going to get rid of the outlet stores. Can we get some like high-end stores? And, you know, like who, who does he think he is? The Saar of 86th Street? God, I'm sorry. I, no, I just, no. it, it made me so mad. Justifiably so. I can't always spend $10 on a burrito. <laughs> sorry, John Quagley. I'll get out. You know, I'll leave. I'll go to, I'll go to, where does he want, where do you think he wants me to go? Jersey? <laughs> anyway. <laughs> Sunset Park. That's my, that's, that's my rant. Back to Ohio. No, I, and mean, I, mean, really. I, I do want to spend a little time talking about Justin and, and how he handled himself in both of the debates because I think, you know, there were some answers that I think all of us were cool with and some things we wish he'd gone a bit harder on. And, you know, we're, we're progressive, but we don't want to be fully one-sided. So... So I, you know, this this stuff on policing has always really gotten to me, and and this is not a surprise. Justin knows that he and I have this disagreement, but you can't really talk about police reform and take a, the PBA endorsement. Mm -hmm. And I think that he didn't sufficiently state in either in either debate that like you know I do have the support of the Patrolman's Benevolent Association, and I do you know I do work regularly with the police, and I do you know they because. When it comes to endorsements, you're saying things in these rooms, you know, in order to get their endorsement. And it just, to me, I think there's a lack of transparency and accountability there right now. I mean, he has, he, I don't know, did he put up his policing stuff on his website? I don't know if he It is have. not on his endorsement page. And there's um, oh, his, uh, across the top of his website, he has a tab for issues uh including oh, transportation education senior issues small business illegal conversion and property taxes but not policing not oh, community policing not broken windows which which he came out against in the debate the community the broken windows right yeah yeah so in the debates he's really clear but it's just not on the website and, that's see that's weird um and so i just think it, it, it could have been clearer or mm -hmm. rather it felt sometimes a little bit like pandering when 
there's some inconsistency there. Well, and that's a good point, actually, about not knowing who's endorsed who. And there weren't programs at these debates. There weren't, like, yeah. you know, independent pieces of, of information. And it would have been really great to say, like, oh, here are the three candidates. Here are the groups that endorsed them in the primary. Here are the people who've endorsed them since the primary. Right. Even to have somebody fact check back to another debate or, or something like that going on. It's like there's not a lot of transparency. And that's one reason we've been putting stuff up on the website um, for Radio Free Bay Ridge and trying to make those available. So yeah, and it was, I was it under was, the impression that Radio Free Bay Ridge was the fact checking. Uh, <laughs> no, you're the, you're of thinking the of the Ambrose Light. Ah, <laughs> uh, right. Did right. a fact <laughs> fact checking so the satire <laughs> publication that does the fact like checking. Getting getting your serious news from the Daily Show. <laughs> Seriously, we are getting in the weeds. I think it's weird too, and, and I I you know to some extent I think that debates are really performative. Really passionate people show up to debates. Right. And it's mostly to affirm an idea that they already have about a candidate. So Justin probably knows that it's mostly progressive people that are coming to to hear him and to support him and to be affirmed in their decision to support mm -hmm. him. And so I understand that. But um, yeah. but don't you want the website to differentiate the the candidate? Because I know people that go to Justin Brannan's website and go to Craig Leone's website and they look the same. If they're not differentiated, I've seriously seen people on Facebook saying, really, what is the difference between these two candidates? They're, they just feel that neither candidate is speaking to them or offering them which is, anything. Which is so crazy because when you start talking you know, with them and hearing them speak about their issues, they have such different approaches to a lot of stuff. Yeah. But I think, I mean, people want you know, they want to come off as like the most passionate about the issues that they care about. And they do that in certain venues that they know that people are going to look for that information, right? They're going to do that on the progressive Facebook pages, and they're going to do it on Twitter, because most of the voting electorate is not on Twitter. And you have, you know, so you pick and choose your mediums of like how you want to get across to the people and the message that you want to use for each of those mediums. But like, I just think I, I do think it's a little disingenuous to take those positions on police, particularly to an over-policed community, yeah. and then not state your your PBA endorsement. I think he I think he had the obligation to do that, and he didn't. Well, and it's interesting what you say about just kind of going off in another direction about um, the, the the venues that they use to express these different ideas, not just at the city council level, but but Dan Donovan has done that a lot. He's holding these, you know, coffee with your congressman, kind of moderate meeting up with people at the same time. The minute Michael Grimm started his race, Donovan started beating the Trump drums. Like, it, but only on social media and not on his official, like, Rep Dan Donovan on his Donovan underscore NY Twitter and his Donovan for Congress Facebook. But this is about the debates. <laughs> his, yeah, this, that was really hard for you, wasn't it? <laughs> really hard for me. <laughs> Yeah, this battle for like who is the Trump loyalist is yeah. really, really yeah. baffling, baffling to me. Especially because right now, how is his how is his approval rating? Well, among among Republicans, it's still fine. It's still fine. It's it's sinking, but it's still fine. But I'm not convinced that Trump won here because, like, I'm still convinced that populism was what Bay Ridge cared about. Oh, that's so. interesting then, because in that case, we didn't end up with a populist city council candidate. No, from any party, we did not. <laughs> um, the other thing I thought was interesting was the fact that the AAANY debate, they actually did have a translator and, and they were translating in real time. And the fact that that allowed people who wouldn't otherwise have been able to engage with this part of the political process to engage. Um, and the fact that the candidates had to kind of do the same and, and listen and wait for translations to come back. And 
And I feel like that was great. And it really gave more of an appreciation for how necessary that is. And it made me feel really guilty that we're only going out in English. But yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you can do an Arabic version soon. We'll we'll get a yes. we'll get a yeah, we'll get we'll get yes. a whole separate uh <laughs> setup. We'll have to get we'll get funding for it. <laughs> Fabulous. Love it. Um yeah, and I and it's it's crucial. I mean, you know, it people are interested. People want to be engaged. You know, there's this like prevailing thing about like, oh, the Arab community is isolated. And it's like, no, there's there's lack of access and there's barriers, right? People were thrilled when we would knock on their door with an Arabic speaker. I mean, it was like they were so excited. And the number of people that went to vote and the people that were excited about the process. And I think we all, you know, as a community have the obligation from this from this point onward to really carry that forward and to keep going on with that momentum. But as you saw at the debate, like that's that's easier said than done because yeah. that debate was an, pretty much an hour long than than the other one, right? Because of yeah. translation, which I think is great, but mm-hmm. but it's true, it's a logistical factor. Um and that took a lot of work for the organizers to put together, you know. Yeah. It's yeah. not it's not easy. No. Well, and and we had a discussion that I think will come up in the episode we're doing later on nativism about how you know, you say kind of going forward, but that's actually something that Bayridge has needed for a very long time. We were talking to my my grandfather's cousin a couple of days ago, and he was telling us how, and he lived here from 44 to 67, mm-hmm. um, and saying that, you know, he worked in a drugstore and they had all these different language newspapers and, you know, all these different, you know, people from different places with their stores and the different things you could get. And he said at the time, there was only one Chinese restaurant down on 86th Street. That was it. But but he was very clear about the fact that, you know, it's always been a community that's had all of these different groups and all of these different um, kind of sub-communities within it. Mm-hmm. And, and to not have addressed that until this debate in our political forums is just ridiculous. Yeah. Well, I mean, I think like, because part of how that got formulated, right, is that some of the groups like Fight Back Bay Ridge and South Brooklyn Progressive Resistance actually approached AAA and Y and said like we'll help do the legwork so that this happens which I think is amazing like I used to be the deputy director of AAA and Y very few people reached out to us and would say like hey so we'll do the work just provide the translator and bring the people and make that happen and so the fact that that happened like because you know the association is an incredibly busy place like it's not gonna just like of its own volition like throw something together so the fact that there were a group of people that were like we really care about the fact that you should get an equal access to this debate we'll do the legwork here you go is a really good sign of the way that we're moving if we can keep that up people were really excited like mm. people were facebook messaging me like i just put up flyers what else can i do <laughs> like and they wanted to get more involved i i hope we can continue to collaborate yeah that's awesome uh we could talk about that weird moment at the end of the zavarian debate about the taking a knee do it. <laughs> no, I would love to talk about that moment. Um, I was like, because I was involved in planning the AAANY debate, I, I've i been so obsessed with that that I almost forgot like how bizarre that mm. whole debate was <laughs> until yeah. you brought that up again. Which if you didn't catch it, like we've got it up on the website, go back and listen. It was just strange. Yeah. I mean, so there were a couple things that happened there um, where like one, it seemed like if I'm if I'm reading it correctly – he just pulled that question out of his own pocket, that it wasn't submitted from I th- the I think audience. He, I think he did say, like, no, this is my question, like, because he because he had kids and the question was something like, how would you explain to your child why the NFL players are taking a knee and how would you feel about that? Yeah. 
Like, one, your job is to be neutral, sir. And that question was entirely loaded Mm -hmm. because you first, like, tried to shame and guilt around, like, how would you explain to your kids, which we all know is is not a neutral, not a neutral comment. It's also Um, code for... Hey, families out there, Quaglione has kids and Quaglione has kids and Brandon does not. Right, exactly. Um, So that was strange. Two, that he tried to like, quote unquote, help Justin out when Justin gave an answer that he just didn't like. Um, Like he answered the question and the moderator was just like, ooh, let me help you with that, which is incredibly (laughs) condescending. Uh, Shout outs to Terry Brennan for just like calling (laughs) the moderator the hell out and saying like – you know, th- that's a that's a that's a loaded question, and also it has nothing. Your question has nothing to do with why people are kneeling. Yeah. So, yeah. your question could have been one: How do you explain how people like why people are kneeling? Yeah. Two: How do you explain something as heavy as police brutality and killing of black people mm-hmm. to your children? And then three: Like, what does this say? What do you think that this says about you know that in the middle of the debate mm-hmm. would have been a beautiful question yeah. that I think would have really helped to tease out some of the differences in. The candidates so shout out shout out to terry and well, terry's and, listening and where she really got it was she said you know this is a first amendment question yeah. this is about freedom of expression and and oh that was the other part of the question was like if they're doing it you know at their place of work not you know on their private time and i gotta say like two days later the commissioner or chairman i don't know his title but the guy who's in charge of the nfl made a statement saying that they're gonna you know their players can do what they want they have freedom right. of speech like so it, it not even the guy who's supposedly losing money off this, and I don't think that's the reason that they're losing money. Um, Even he was on the same side as Justin. Like, this is freedom of speech. Right. Get over it. Right. And I like that Terry pushed it a little bit more and says, you're not even talking about what this pro- like yeah. what they're actually yeah. kneeling for and i think that's that's really it. It, you know it takes a lot of guts to like yell from mm. the audience and i happen to know terry is not a yell from the audience type of person mm. and i'm really glad she I'm really glad she took that moment yeah well and i think it's it's really important just kind of as we're talking about this um i think not many of us were in alignment with a lot of the people who were at the zavarian debate but it was important that we were there because it it gave the opportunity to call people out. And the same at um, the AAANY. I think like most people I think were probably on the more progressive side, but there were people who were not. And, you know, it was important that they come there and, and get a sense of, you know, what are these candidates saying to these very different demographic groups? Right. And is there is there consistency and continuity? And, and right. it was not always consistency. When we were uh, planning the debate, I had been thinking of it in terms of like, you know, we had unprecedented turnout from the Arab communities in Bay Ridge and let's get this debate out there to, you know, put them in front of the candidates, like expose them to the candidates and expose them to the candidates talking about issues that the Arab American Association thought they'd be interested in. Well, and and expose the candidates to part of their constituency that they don't engage with as much. Yeah. I was thinking of the debate as a counterweight to the Diker Heights Civic Association mm. debate, which I heard was just yeah. ridiculous. At, at, was that in... the one where they went after Nancy Tong? Yes. Yeah. And the I think there was the, the housing forum... Mm-hmm earlier on in the campaign. And so I was thinking of it as like a counterpoint to all of that. And I thought like the Zavarian was like the neutral party. And then when I saw that, I was like, (laughs) wow, what did did Democrats do before Triple NY started doing debates? Debates don't benefit people who play to the center. Mm -hmm. Because 
you need to sound the most passionate about a particular issue. People want to hear that you are the most passionate person on a particular issue. So in a neutral debate, like in the Zaverian debate, nobody is going to stand out by being like, honestly, I see both sides. I see that people are struggling with uh, with uh, the lack of, you know, the quality of life downturned by illegal home conversions. And at the same time, I really do think that we have a, a housing problem. Uh, so I will be a measured person that's going to take on both of those concerns. Like you, you do that, you get no claps and you do know, you know, you get, you get no cheers. Um, so I think debates to some extent really do serve to show the stark polarization, um, for better or for worse. Well, and I wonder how, how that will go in the future because they're getting much more accessible. You know, if you're not free at seven o'clock on a Tuesday night, we're going to throw it up on the Wednesday on the podcast. You know, the South Brooklyn Progressive Resistance is going to throw it up on their website. You can still see it. And suddenly it's not just the hundred people in the room. It's also the hundred people who listen afterwards and you don't know who they are. There's going to be a real reckoning for some of these candidates who don't stay consistent on every issue. Yeah. And I think that's important um, no matter who wins and, or, and who's in office. And I think mm-hmm. the, the challenge is to continue doing that beyond election season too. So how do we... Uh... How do we keep these guys accountable? Whoever is elected, how how are we going to make sure they live up to their promises? My money is on the Ambrose Light. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, I think all you can do is keep challenging them. And there was a really great moment in the AAANY debate where, um, so at one point, somebody stood up in the back of the auditorium, and I think it was Alan? It was, uh, it was Noah. John, this is for you. So in the last debate and in this one, you have made repeated mention to Penny Larson being down up for the month of May. However, in the 6-8 precincts, year to date, in October, it is down. In the 6-2 precincts, you know, the type of uh, Penny Larson that you're talking about, uh, burglaries from uh, things in front of the home, uh, car break-ins, all that, also trending down. Here a few of them. Look at every single type of incident report in Larson in both districts. So given that, I have one of yeah, two questions. A, could you please stop lying to us about these things? And B, would you like to hire someone else to do your research for you? If you look at May's 28-day period, you'll see the 19%. And I repeat, I specifically highlight May when I answer my questions. Thank you. And I, yeah, it's, yeah, that's, we need, that's just, I mean, that's, I mean, that's straight up fear mongering. Well, yeah, that, that set me off on Twitter. Was that, like, that's you know. the, the straight up, like, uh, not understanding how statistics work. Like you can find numbers for anything. If you look at like one random number, like rates change month to month. Like that's why you look at something like year to date rather than yeah, right. some random month. What? What the hell's so special about May? Yeah. Well, My wedding anniversary is in May. <laughs> like that's that's a hundred percent more wedding so, anniversaries than you had in April. It's also just exactly. more valuable information than yeah. John Quaglione's crime statistics. Um. <laughs> but but yeah, and it, it. I mean, one of the things that I I had said on Twitter was that when you're looking for a leader who takes the data as it exists and takes the situation as it exists and shapes their policy around that reality, you're not looking for somebody who says, "Oh, you know." This statistic from 10 months ago is the statistic that I'm basing my policy on whether it changes or not. Right. All right. So one of the one of the more outrageous things that came out in the um, Zavarian debate was a question about H.R. 36, where John Quaglione was asked, you know, did he agree with um, Dan Donovan's vote on H.R. 36, which would restrict the ability of any woman to get an abortion after 20 weeks? Um, 
and and as he was answering this question, John brought up again his daughter and and you know the point where she was premature and she was 32 weeks and blah blah. blah and he says, "People, barbarians, kill babies, abort babies at 32 weeks." And and I was just appalled. Yeah, and this is one of those moments again where I am just like, "Do you know who lives in your district?" Like you, the the gall and the audacity that people have to stand up there and say, state such a position, mm-hmm. making massive assumptions about the women that follow them and 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 their opinions and their experience with that subject. Um, he didn't have to go down that road, and I think it's a real. I think it's a real shame that he did. As you say, it was one of those times when he could have just said, "You know, I'm Catholic. I'm pro-life." The end. Mm-hmm. He took that extra step, and it was completely unnecessary, completely insulting, completely patronizing. Right, and I think you know, in campaigns, you make these decisions about um, maybe you um, maybe you're doing something that is beneficial for your own followers, but you have to be careful to not incense your opponent's followers to the point where they become more supportive and more ready to do work on behalf of your Mm -hmm. opponent. Mm -hmm. And I think that was one of those moments where people realized like, oh shit, like we don't want somebody who speaks about that, about women like that um, to be getting into city council. And I'm sure that there were a couple people that just immediately started emailing Justin Brandon saying like, hey, when can I sign up for door knocking shifts? Yeah, I've been taking it easy since the primary and I <laughs> thought about it. Right. <laughs> Maybe I need to get back on doors. Yeah. Yeah, just, you know, make sure to introduce yourself as a barbarian, you know, when you're <laughs> like, hey, my name is Mary, I'm a barbarian, and I'm here to talk to you about Justin Brown. <laughs> <laughs> oh, all right. Uh, just to be clear, that was just a mm. joke about being a woman, not not about Mary's, <laughs> Mary, Mary's, Mary's reproductive history, yeah, right, yes. <laughs> So what if I am? But here we are, uh, three three women in a studio talking about three men who are running for office. And uh, when is it going to be Dan in this room with two other guys talking about three women who are running for office? Well, who, who, who can get the three of us funding the fastest? <laughs> <laughs> um, no, but that is actually something I've been speaking to people about recently. Is and and I think every you know the three of us are certainly aware. One of the things that bars women or, or that prevents women from running for offices is constant fundraising, constant fundraising. And that's just not something that a lot of women want to engage with. And a lot of the women that I've kind of gone and been like, why are you running? That's the answer. And and I'm sure you both have heard that as well. Yeah. I, I would suggest that as a whole episode of Radio Free Bay Ridge about what the fuck we are going to do about why there are multiple races that are going on right now that are with the prospect of being all men yeah. or primarily men. I mean, the um, the fact, the sheer fact that the congressional race is going on, and as far as I, my, my there's, last there's count, no there, were, there were eight candidates yeah. that were thinking about running or had declared, and not one of them is a woman, mm-hmm. says something seriously wrong about where we're at. A woman has never held the city council seat either, just to be It seems clear. like a, a lot of the candidates are former aides and staffers. Are there many female staffers in Golden's office or Mali Takas's office? That's another good question. And that was a moment Gentile's in, um, I think, Capano and, or no, no, it was Quaglione was talking about the people that they have working in Golden's office. And, you know, we have this and we have this and we have this. And, you know, we have people who speak this language. We have people who speak that language. Um, and then I think it was either him or Capano, and I can't remember which one, um, literally said, I will have a staffer or, 
you know, somebody or an intern. And it was like, why are you using the word or? Yeah. Like, this isn't, you don't, there's not a quota that you can only have one person who's not a straight white male. Yeah. And also just, uh, you know, it, it is strategically sound and a good protection of people's power at this point to appoint staffers that can speak to different communities. Because very soon here, uh, the, especially if there's a lot of registration and engagement going on, depending on the district, you're going to have more people of color that are actively going to the polls than white people. So we also didn't talk about the fact that everybody tried to frame themselves as an outsider, which is absolutely mm. ridiculous because all three people have been on the payrolls of elected officials. And yeah. Bob Capano tried to put on the Hadrelia team hat by like being like, I'm an outsider. And these career politicians have, well, I don't know why that got Western. But I'm an outsider. <laughs> and these career politicians have done nothing for us and blah, blah, blah. And it's like, Bro, no, you are way connected to the political establishment and Curtis Lewa, whoever that is. And I don't, and, and the fact that it honestly, that was really offensive to me that anybody who has as many endorsements and flag waving mm. from sitting elected officials would try to build themselves as an outsider. That is not. Yeah. what being an outsider is, and that term is quickly losing meaning. And I think that all of the candidates are doing that intentionally because all of them are way too collect connected to the political establishment. Well, and I think that's connected back to the populism of the 2016 elections. It's like you don't want to be the person who's connected because nobody will vote for you. Yeah, but you can't have it both. And yeah. that's happening no, on the Republican and the Democratic side. And, and to me, it's just kind of like, I don't care what your brand is and what you are fashioning yourself as. You are on the payroll of an elected official. You have the endorsements of current elected officials. You're connected to political clubs. You're connected to the movers and shakers in the political world. Sorry, you're not an outsider. Yeah. All right. Well, I think we're going to have to cut it short there. Um, it's been really great speaking with you both. Thank you so much for coming to talk about the debate. Yeah. Thanks Thank for you. having me. So now, the traffic report. One, two, one, two, three, and... Heavier than the air and lighter than the wind Dead lust is dead to us, him and his kin Everybody's climbing for the sun Nobody notices the day's almost done And it's all one Here it comes The marching of the mad ones is gaining in strength. Those sitting by cheering are the ones that should be breaking rank, yeah. The waters are rising, cities capsizing. Oh, what do you shout when it seems like no one's realizing that three, two, one, here it comes. What you gonna do, baby blue? The saints are coming through, and it's all right, my. Here it comes. The 
The rain falls hard and so do men They think they're louder than the air that suspends them Above the sky Condensating, condescending down on you and me Realizing today that they cannot fly The only chance we have in a billionaire to one To keep our wings from melting in the sun which the fat cat laughs with the child's cries Well, we might be all right otherwise Here it comes Big bang and the bells rang Preaching the last sermon to the choir Everybody bobby head to the beat of the nuclear brimstone pyre Icarus is sick of us, telling him what to do He says he flies with the wings he's got Not the ones that he choose If he asked him before he fell, I'm sure he would refuse But the water's hard when you fall from the sun And here comes the water, here it comes Here comes the water, here it comes Here comes the water, here it comes That was Fred Zorn out in Bath Beach with Here It Comes. If you'd like a copy of the song, get in touch with Fred at oneboyonedog at gmail.com. And that wraps up our analysis of the last two city council debates. Thanks so much to Mary and Kayla for joining Rachel in the studio for that breakdown. A third and much shorter debate was aired on New York One a few days ago. We'll link to that in the show notes. We know you're all waiting with bated breath for our episode on nativism, but we hope you'll forgive us for bumping it down the line in favor of this incredibly timely discussion. Remember, Election Day is right around the corner. On Tuesday, November 7th, make your voice heard. Go to our show notes for links to sites that will give you your polling location and voter registration confirmation. We recommend that you take your voter registration card, which you should have received by mail when you go to the polls. If you haven't received it by mail, go onto the voter registration status online, we'll link it in the show notes, or call the Brooklyn Board of Elections at 718-797-8800. We'll throw that information in the show notes as well. If you've grown to enjoy the pod, check out our website at RadioFreeBayRidge.org, like our Facebook page, or tune in on Twitter at RadioFreeBR. Remember to subscribe and please give us a rating in your favorite podcast app. It really does help us spread the word. Finally, we're always looking for ways to use this podcast as a platform, not a soapbox. If there's a community issue that you want to talk about, get in touch with us and let us know. Until next time, I'm Rachel. And I'm Dan. Stay free, Bay Ridge. This is so cool. This is a legit, legit recording studio. I don't, I don't know how to do this. I haven't actually done this before. Here, do you want me to do an impression <laughs> of Dan's voice? Yes. yes. <laughs> I'm going to be very bad at this. Hello, and welcome to Radio Free Bay Ridge. <laughs> Thank you, Kayla. <laughs> Did it sound like him? <laughs> you know, um, I tried. <laughs>